0: Support for Wavemakers comes from listeners like you and the Tampa Bay Times. The Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampa Bay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. Good morning and welcome to Wave Makers with Tom and Janet. A weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet.
1: And I'm Tom.
0: And running the board today is vintage Tampa resident John Dunn. Answering the phones are Edgar and Marilyn. They're double teaming us, so don't worry about overwhelming the phone lines. Feel free to call 813-239-9663. Um, they'll get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813 813- 4330885 we're happy to be here with you today in WMNF's Spring Fun Drive begins tomorrow at 9 a.m. with Democracy Now! We on Wavemakers will be taking um, raising money next Tuesday, February 27th. We have some really awesome special thank-you gifts just for Wavemakers fans. You can see them by going to the Wavemakers page at WMNF.org or just do a search for Wavemakers WMNF. Um, the the thank-you gifts include a beautiful Tampa International Airport model, model plane. It's two feet long by two feet wide on a lovely mahogany bay. Perfect for aviation enthusiasts. We also have a couple of coffee table books, one by the conservation photographer um, and... Carlton Moore, Jr., who has been on our show a couple times. It's called Path of the Panther. And the other is a collection of 50 stories by nearly 50 Florida authors published by Florida Humanities called Once Upon a Time in Florida. Authors include a couple of previous wave makers, including Bill Maxwell and Gary Marmino, and today's guest. We hope you will support your favorite community radio station and all the programming it offers beginning tomorrow.
1: Today's guest has been making waves as an arts and entertainment journalist for decades. Bill DeYoung is currently senior writer and editor at St. Pete Catalyst. He is the author of five books, including Skyway, the true story of Tampa Bay's signature bridge, and the man who brought it down, Phil Germhard. Germhard. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, uh, the Lost Music Interviews, and three volumes of Vintage St. Pete. Welcome to Wavemakers, Bill.
2: Hello there, Tom. Thanks for having me today. I wanted I wanted to just say that Carlton Ward is an amazing artist, and that, that Path of the Panther... Uh, stuff of his is just totally knocked me out.
0: Incredible.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, ho- Really incredible. I, I, I hope you will uh, give us a, a
2: generous donation and you can get that as a gift. Yes, that, that's, <laughs> I, I, he- I heard Janet talking about that and that's that's where I'm headed <laughs> with it. We're going to hold
0: it's you in the studio a, until you it's donate. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. trade up a for a copy
2: of Vintage St. Pete, Volume 3. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bill's journalism career started at age 17 when he was a correspondent for the St. Petersburg Times. His most recent book is Snapshots and Stories from Days Gone by, it's twenty five chapters. Um, and the book documents such traditions and legends as the annual festival of states parade, the world famous k tree inn, Ted Peter's famous smoked fish house, um, and on and on. Um, Bill, you've written a lot about music. You wrote a book about the Sunshine Skyway disaster, and we'll get to all of that. But first, let's talk about this series, Vintage Saint Pete. Sure, yeah, three books. What sparked your interest in St. Pete history and how did this series come about?
2: Well, I returned to St. Petersburg, which is my hometown, uh, 10 years ago. You grew up in St. Pete. I grew up in St. Pete. So, uh, what was happening was it was changing so fast and so profoundly that, you know, I think one starts to kind of remember, you know, slow, molasses, slow life in St. Pete. And, and, uh because I have a sort of an eye on on history anyway, thinking about the things that had been happening while I was growing up, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the people and the places and the the things, the events that were uh, important to us and part of daily life, most of which were long gone. And it occurred to me that if somebody... Somebody needs to write it all down. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that happened with the Skyway Bridge book. I was just frustrated by not being able to find enough information. What was the story of Tiki Gardens? Who were those people and how did they do it? Um, I remember the Johns Pass Aquarium where they had a dolphin in a 25-foot-wide concrete tank when I was a kid. <laughs> not, uh, 12 feet deep. It's, it's oh, a long story. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty sad stuff. And... Um, I, I would go online and hey, what wh- wh- was it, what was all this about? And you'd find a paragraph. You know, it was just kind of receding into history. Well, I like the idea of kind of informing people whoever wants to know about it. This is what life was like in St. Petersburg mm-hmm. before. And along the way, I found a lot of things that I had never heard of that happened, say, in the fifties or earlier. And there were certain historical incidents, like Tony Janus flying across the bay to Tampa. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote the story of Albert Wittet, for whom our airport is named in St. Petersburg. Historical things that had to be done. Mostly it had to do with kind of giving a place in history to things that were very important to people who lived there mm-hmm. for a long time. Plus, it's, it's a lot of fun.
1: If you live long enough, uh, the stuff that people consider history is actually the stuff that you
2: live through, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I've been around a little while here, Tom, and... Uh, Uh, so, you know, the first, first of all, I think the first book, the first book has, you know, the story of the Suncoast Seabird Sanctuary and Ralph Heath, who was a friend of mine in the seventies. Uh, and, uh, you know, people don't know about that. Or Dr. Paul Bearer, who is on, uh, WTOG channel 44, the longest running horror movie TV host in American history. I
0: didn't realize he was in St.
2: He was uh, WTO, I don't remember where the studio was, but he was in St. Pete a lot. And I mean, a lot of this is Tampa Bay stuff. One of the stories that's in the newest book has to do with WTVT, which was the CBS affiliate uh, in those days when we had three channels. um, (laughs) And uh, it was, you know, it was on Kennedy Boulevard. and, And so all these guys... Ernie Lee, who did the morning show, played a guitar and sang. Salty Salt Flashman, the sports editor, Roy Leap, who only passed away a few years ago. Right. God bless you, Roy. Uh, Andy Hardy, sports. This was the number one station in all of Tampa Bay for 25 years. Okay, so I wrote a story. Shock Armstrong, the guy in the Frankenstein mask, who hosted the the Friday night, you know, cheese cheese ball horror movie mm-hmm. fest. So that's nostalgic to a lot of people. But it was also, when I was a kid, those guys were like our local heroes you know and so i went looking for information on them you find you find people who knew them who worked with them family members and we can talk about that and we sort of say here's who they were you know captain mac was a guy who had a children's show from the old st petersburg pier live for 15 minutes every weekday afternoon <laughs> my sister one of my my sister patty was on that show when she was 6 i think um, long gone, but tons of people remember that guy. I found his son, who's a police detective, somewhere, and he's, he's Captain Mac is long passed. But it was sort of like that. It was like let's let's give. Renewed life to these things, and and you know that was
1: back when it was kind of a small town. St. Pete and Tampa. St. Pete was there.
2: very slow and sleepy. And they probably had
1: their own, you know, a local children's show. Sure, local TV. You know, they had they had championship wrestling. Right? <laughs> yeah, I that's
2: mean. that's in the future, I think, for me. But uh, one of the, one of the things that, that, that one of my favorite stories, uh, I think it's in the second book in 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 uh, volume, well, volume two, the second book, Bill, um, is about celebrity dinner theaters oh yes which in in the 1970s and in through the 80s and 80s yeah there was nothing else to do in sancho showboat Petersburg.
0: dinner theater that show, was the big
2: showboat dalsherwood the Tampa would, Tribune would actually have their re, their, their theater
1: critic uh, review their so show did the times yeah. so
2: did the times and the <laughs> times critics god love them hated every show at the showboat <laughs> and at the country dinner playhouse which was the other one and these they were, kept going back for more oh my god this was and i talked to i talked to actors who worked in the cast with these sort of, you know faded TV people who were the big celebs that would come in and they said people would get dressed up. this was a night out in St Petersburg, and it, it it was it was what you did because you know you didn't really have that much to do it was, it was a very sleepy town, but it was huge for a long long time and I got to find out who was nice to work with who was kind of a bastard you know uh lovely stuff and you had like Myrna Loy. Like film stars would come through, uh, you know, Myrna Loy was there, uh, Dorothy L'Amour, mm-hmm. people like that. In addition to the cast of the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island and, you know, <laughs> and Chuck <laughs> Connors. I wish I'd seen Chuck Connors, but that was kind of before my time.
0: If you're just tuning in and you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF and our guest is Bill DeYoung. And right now we're talking about his series of books, uh, Vintage St. Pete. Um, give us a call 813-239-9663 or send an email at dj at org and maybe share your favorite story of vintage saint pete and see if um you can uh ask a question of bill if it's see if it's something he's written about there are in a court over these in these three books 70-some stories. There are,
2: Well, the three books have a total of 69 stories. I think I've written seven or eight more since then that have been published in the Catalyst.
0: In the Catalyst, because it's a series, series called Vintage St. Pete. How often do you run it?
2: As often as I kind of feel well, like. Well, let's explain the Catalyst. I, I can do it. Yeah, okay. St.
1: Pete Catalyst is like an online news site. We sure. actually had the owner of the Catalyst on as one of our early wave makers. Joe <laughs> Hamilton. Joe yeah, it's, Hamilton.
2: it's an online news platform. And, and,
1: and the, you, you came down here to to work for them?
2: Well, I came down here. Uh, I, I was born and raised in St. Pete, and, and I lived in Gainesville for 22 years. I was the arts editor for the Gainesville Sun. Uh, got divorced and moved around the state a little bit. Got remarried. Hi, Amy. And um, <laughs> ended up back here about 10 years ago, thinking I was out of journalism, that I'd sort of had enough. I'd written the Skyway book. And thinking, I've kind of done what I need to do. I I don't want to go sit in bars and listen to bands anymore. Um, So I took a job in PR and was bored out of my mind. And suddenly I'm a journalist again. Then came Joe Hamilton saying, I'm starting this online business and civic news platform, which I wrote business for six months. and And I said this really isn't my thing.
1: You hate spreadsheets.
2: I'm an arts. Oh, there's so much, Tom, don't even get me started. (laughs) But it also occurred to me, I mean, my training and my experiences in arts and entertainment writing, this is what I do. I interview people. I talk about things that are coming. And I just said to Joe, look, the times has kind of dropped the mantle here. Love you guys. Um, and creative loafing does what creative loafing does, but There's really no solid arts reporting here in this community, which is blowing up. Mm -hmm. It's sort of very St. Pete based. I go into Tampa a little bit. I talk about the professional theaters over here because they're doing some amazing work. And of course, the big shows at Emily and the stadiums and all that stuff don't really get involved in some of the arts organizations over here. It's very much St. Pete and Pinellas. And so that, and Joe said, yeah, go ahead. And that was, I don't know, six or seven years ago. So that's pretty much exclusively what I do. But then you got in, what was your first vintage St. Pete story? The first one, I believe, there's a place, uh, there's an area over in West St. Pete on uh, uh, Park Street called Jungle Prada. And uh, it's where um, Admiral Farragut Academy is, the military school. And in in the 1920s, Admiral Farragut Academy was a hotel, and this was Babe Ruth's favorite place to stay. And there was a, a nightclub down the road, just down the road, you could get to by trolley, called the Gangplank. Babe Ruth used to, well, he used to drink there and eat lots of hot dogs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so I was, I was in there, and it's still going as a place called, uh, it's called the Jungle Tavern now. We were in there, and somebody said, you know, during Prohibition, there used to be a tunnel going from Bogusiega Bay into the kitchen of this place, so the, they could run run hooch into here, and then that got people started talking about Al Capone and the gangsters who had been who had lived here. And so I said, let's find out about this. So I went back in the kitchen with the guy that owns the place. We stomped all over the floor, and he said, you know, there's a hollow place over here. We never could prove it. Never could prove it. But then somebody else called and said, you know, they did one of those MythBusters shows where they found um, a safe back in a back room here, and they opened it to great fanfare. It was very very much Geraldo and now Al-, Al Capone's vault, <laughs> and there was nothing in it. But there's always been these stories about how Prohibition and gangsters, uh, and the only thing we could prove was true is that Babe Ruth liked the place. And so that was the first story I wrote. And it was kind of the history of Babe Ruth in St. Petersburg because he was here a lot because of spring yep. training. and right. um, But Capone, no. So that was the first one, and that kind of started it. Then I started looking around going... Eh, you know, whatever happened to the Aquatarium? You know, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever happened to, um, you know, as I say, Tiki Gardens, uh, the Bounty, which was moored down at the St. Pete Pier for many, many, many years. And you start looking into who's still around, who is involved with it, and who can tell you about it. And you start reading the archives, and never short of ideas. Let's just put it that way. It just goes on and on. Lots but, of lots of history in the. And area.
0: some of them are things that are still. They're not all things that have gone by, though, mm-hmm. or gone by the way I said. I mean, you, you write about Ted Peters, mm-hmm. which is still here. I mean... Well, and- Ted's
2: gone, yeah, but um, his, uh, his late partner's son is still running the place. Mm-hmm. And so I got a, a great history lesson. I get the
1: feeling it hasn't changed a bit.
2: Hasn't changed a bit. The, they the still don't take is, credit cards. Right. <laughs> the
1: neighborhood has changed a lot, uh, but sure. you know, uh, it seems to be exactly the way it was when I first went there 40-something years ago.
2: There, there's a lot of that, and I, th- I think there's there's a deep nostalgia for uh, for that sort of thing from people who remembered it. Well, the original
1: and, Hurricane Lounge. I and still going, have great affection for Yeah, that. sure. I, I, I remember jazz. going to the the hurricane, they but, had you know, no, that yeah,
2: oh, that's not
0: what it. That has not been preserved it's though. It's, fa- very no, it's, it's very different. It's very
1: different. I haven't been
2: in a long time. So it's, is it? Yeah, so, it's touristy now. You know, there's all the six degrees of separation that happens, which is very, very interesting for me. I was working on a book called Phil Gernhardt, Record Man, and Phil Phil was a record producer from Sarasota who had an office in Saint Petersburg. Ronnie Elliott was his assistant mm-hmm. in those days. After he was still a musician. Phil produced Snoopy vs. the Red Baron, which was recorded here on McDill Avenue in Tampa. Okay. Hmm. Phil produced, discovered, and produced Lobo, who's a guy named Kent Lavoie, had a couple of huge hits, Jim Stafford, the Bellamy brothers from Pasco mm-hmm. County. So I wrote a biography of him. And as it turns out, we're get, we're getting to why I'm telling you this, Tom. I promise. Um, across from the Hurricane Lounge, there's a a, a snack bar, and it's yep. on it's on the footer of the old Pasta Hotel, which burned down in 1967. I did I not know that. Okay. That's
0: what was there. The snack
2: bar was built was founded and built by Phil Gernhardt.
0: Oh, I love that snack
2: bar. They have excellent hamburgers. Yeah. Okay. So that was before he left for L.A. and went to work for Mike Curb and started producing more and more and more and kind of became international. When he was still here, he he went to city council. I found this in in the archives. You know, we don't want another uh, boozy. You know, you know, we're not going to sell beer there, folks. I mean, the citizenry, Paso Grill people are very sensitive about what you do out there. Mm-hmm. But Phil went and, and argued and won, and he built that place. And he ran it for, I don't know, two years before he left for California. Fortunately, they serve adult beverages now. So. Do they? They do, They've and, and it's that.
0: actually, the beach has eroded so much, it's <laughs> like literally waterfront. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's hardly any beach left in well, front of it. What are very some sad. of your
1: favorite uh, uh, vintage St. Pete? store? Go ahead. So what sticks out to you, of the the 70 or so that you've written?
2: You know, I think what sticks out for me are the ones that I did not know about, that maybe predated me. I was born in 1958, but I found out that in the early 50s, for example, uh, some Broadway-type people, I'm never really sure how they found this place, but got some investors. Let's bring Broadway shows to St. Petersburg. Now, bear in mind, there's no Bayfront Center. There's no auditorium. There's no nothing. This is early 50s. What they did was they put up a circus tent on 4th Street North around 90th somewhere and filled it with bleachers. They put a lot of money into this, and they brought Broadway people down. They put on a whole season of shows with lights and everything. It was called the St. Petersburg Operetta, and at the end of the first, maybe the second season, Hurricane winds blew the tent over, <laughs> and they and they had to finish in uh, I think it was Northeast High School auditorium, and and then they they went looking for a new place, and then what they did was they finished the next season in what became the Gay Blades Roller Rink over on Ninth 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 uh, Avenue North, which is another thing I wrote. It was a roller. It was a Quonset hut mm-hmm. that. that Hadn't quite reached its potential yet. So they had once they used to go
0: roller skating there. My
2: one of my sisters did, Patty did all the time. And I remember it wasn't a gay bar, the Gay Blades. No, it's we that old joke, Tom, but uh, (laughs) sorry, but uh, yeah, you hear that a lot. So the St. Pete Operetta (laughs) was absolutely amazing. (laughs) Oh, god, you even made
0: John laugh. John actually laughed out loud.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, John. And, And as I'm digging into the operetta, I find out that on Treasure Island. (laughs) <laughs> During the same season, only one season, there was a place called the Treasure Island Music Circus, which is very similar. There was a movement up in the Northeast, I forget exactly what it was called, of doing big productions and bringing them out to the sticks in large tents. And the music circus only lasted one year. In the company was Elaine Stritch, young Elaine Stritch, you know, future mm-hmm. Broadway star. The, uh, the stage manager was 17-year-old Larry Hagman.
0: Oh, my god! His gosh. mother, of
2: course, was Mary Martin who was connected yep. in all of this. And that place was a total bust. And, and the, the, the guys who are uh, who running it were complaining. We well, just don't think St. Petersburg audiences are sophisticated enough to appreciate this kind of entertainment. And they pulled out. The <laughs> operetta lasted <laughs> a little longer. I love stuff like that. I love stuff like that.
0: Okay, well, let's go to the, the phones. We've got Phil on Paul, from Palm Beach, all the way from Palm Beach, who's been waiting patiently to speak. Phil. From Palm Beach, you are on the line. What is on your mind, sir?
3: Good day, everybody. Thank you, Making Waste, for another great show. And, Bill, thank you for writing all the lovely history about St. Pete.
2: Well, thanks for thanks for that.
3: St. Pete and Seminole, and I remember the porphyse. Bob had a porpoise. Yes, also that was a pub on Terminal uh, Boulevard.
2: Yes, it's it's As it was it burned down and they're putting up a car wash there. Yes. Right now. Yes. Cuz we don't have <laughs> oh, enough car was washes.
3: <laughs> hey, that's the story of my life. You got 10 years on me, but I watched Pinellas County get decimated with tourism and you know the influx, but um I also remember the aquarium out on St. Pete Beach. Yeah, the yeah, aquatarium, the sure.
2: Beaches. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I remember Dolly the Sheep in John's Pass, and also Harold the Gun and Knife Club. Oh, sure. Yeah, well,
2: I was in a band in the 70s. We used to play at the Keg and Cork Pub right across the street from Harold's. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: But wait, why was there a sheep at John's Pass? I I
2: have no idea what he meant by that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There are lots of sheep. I still have things to learn, I
2: guess.
0: Tell us about the sheep at John's
3: Pass. Uh, well, I can tell you about Jimmy Buffett playing while the the Dolly the Porpoise was there.
0: Oh, Dolly the Porpoise.
2: That was the yeah. Oh, Dolly Dolly was the name of the of the dolphin at the Porpoise Pub. Yeah. Oh, that's. Oh,
3: that's right. Yeah, I forget the name of the one in John's Pass.
2: That was that, Pat. That was yeah, Patty. P a d d y. That's right,
3: Patty. Yeah. Yeah. That.
2: Yeah. Oh, that I'm was. So oh, that's another very sad story. You gotta which get we, our purposes straight. We man. won't go into here, but uh, Patty. Yeah. Yeah, Pat, Patty lived a very sad life there, and and at the end of when yeah. when the Aquatarium finally yeah. drove the John's Pass Aquarium out of business, the owner Mister Hurlbert yeah. sold Patty to the, the Aquatarium, and he died within a year. Because he had no social skills. Yeah. He, had, he had to be separated yeah. from the other animals because he was aggressive. He'd lived alone in a nine 12-foot uh, deep tank for nine years. Oh, oh my gosh. Be yeah, be so be people, they thought of the them as fish be. in those days. I mean, it's really sad when you read about the history of the way people treated well, bottomless dolphins water,
3: in I mean, think about the chimps. I mean, all the exotic animal shows in tourist traps throughout yeah. the ages. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember Web City and the Dancing Chickens, uh, you know. And <laughs> I remember when the circus actually still changed the town. Yeah. And Barron Bailey still went to the Bayfront Center.
2: The circus has become—it's you know. become, it's become hey. the Americanized Cirque du Soleil now. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Animals.
0: They just had—they no animals, right? They just yeah. was a big circus. Uh, yeah. at a, Yeah. Which is good. It should be. Well, when I was a way. kid,
2: we would go down to the Bayfront Center, and the circus would be there in yeah. January, and they—they they filmed their the their TV spectacular because it was there because it was so big.
3: Hey, Bill, do you remember the Haas Museum?
2: Yes, that's actually a, a, it's on my short list of things to look into. I have some notes about the Haas Museum. H A A S.
3: Wow.
2: Yeah. What
0: is it? What What, what did the Haas Museum specialize in? I'm not entirely sure. It, but, avocados. Yeah.
2: It was St. Pete history. It was yeah, it was a very Saint tiny Pete little place, wasn't history. it? I have. It was uh, wonderful. Yes. I have some bookmarked stuff about it, that.
3: It. Well, Phil, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'll be looking into that, that one, man. For thank reading you. These books.
2: Thanks. I appreciate you so much.
3: Hey, great show.
0: Great work. Okay.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for
0: calling. Thank you to to this sharp listener um, who tells me, Jill, Jill, thank you, Jill. Dolly the sheep was the cloned sheep from Scotland. Right. That's right. Dolly was not at John's past. She was the (laughs) cloned sheep in Scotland. So there we go. Um, Our guest right now is um, Bill DeYoung. He's the author of uh, three books um, about the history of St. Pete, and he is also a um, content editor for Catalyst St. Pete. We'll be back with more from him right after this station announcement.
2: Jazz is alive at WMNF. Tune in Sunday evenings at 8 for Colors of Jazz at our new time, featuring new releases from new artists, old favorites, international jazz from Europe, Asia,
3: and Canada, covering everything from big band swing to bop diffusion. We play it all, plus specials celebrating the music of giants like Ellington,
2: Miles Davis, Pat Metheny, Quincy Jones, Chick Corea, even Frank Zappa. We play the music you'll hear no place else on the radio. Check out our interviews with local jazz musicians. Jazz is what America sounds like, and it's yours to listen to come Sunday evening. If you can't catch us live,
3: play it back from the archives.
0: There are very few places to listen to jazz um, on the radio, and WMNF is one of those places. We've got a couple jazz shows, so worth checking out. And, and please
1: remember that uh, when we start our fun drive uh
0: Tomorrow. Tomorrow. So, um, Bill, one of the things that you've written a lot about is filmmaking. So let's talk about sure. the history of filmmaking and then some of the films that have been um, made in, the, the Pen- in Pinellas County.
2: I think, I think first and foremost, people remember Cocoon, of course, which yes. was done in 1984 in St. Pete. Um, so obviously that was one of the first things I did, just, just to get it on record, you know, and get as many cool photos. And a good
1: movie, unlike, say, unlike Cop and a Half
2: which was filmed in Tampa. Well, that's Tampa. We don't talk about that <laughs> we in don't talk about that Cuz that's <laughs> embarrassing. What we do talk about is health.
1: Oh yeah, or Robert Altman. E
2: A L T H cuz there's periods. That Robert Altman filmed at the Don Cesar in 1979, which Ronald Reagan famously screened and called the worst movie ever made. Huh. He um,
1: was not wrong.
2: Have you oh, seen well, it? Cop
1: and I,
0: I, I kind of want to see it. That's just to
1: see, it. The, you can see the. I have
2: seen it on Benoit. YouTube. Yeah, it's yeah. it's never been made available in any form at all. Um, <laughs> Cop and a half, boy. I gotta. I tell you what. No, health was um, Altman hadn't really had his big revival yet. This was before the player and Porte and shortcuts mm-hmm. and all of that. This was, um, you know, he had done Nashville and it was and and had kind of his reputation had slowly gone down a bit bit by bit by then, but he took over the Don Cesar for a month. And this is a film that has Lauren Bacall, Carol Burnett, uh, uh, Glenda Jackson, sorry. And, um, James Garner, Dick Cavett is in it playing himself. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, the gambit, I'll, I'll, give it to you very briefly is, is a, a health food convention has taken over this beachside hotel. Guess where it's pink folks. Um, and, uh, Basically, the candidates running for presidency of the health Food Organization are all eccentric weirdos, and it's just so bad. i think I think Paul Dooley wrote it. he's in it. Um, as much as you can uh, write a, a you know an Altman script, it was very freeform.
1: Was this an excuse to stay at the Cesar art? I think life? it might yeah. have been.
2: Yeah. I think maybe Dick Cavett said, "Well, I'll do it if you." Because <laughs> the Don did go through its own decline. Right, oh, that's yeah, that's another no story. That, I've done. Was that
1: during the, that period of time? No, was no, it,
2: it the- was it was just coming out of its decline. Then um, I think for most of the. Uh, this, for most of the seventies, it was so kind of pre World War II. A it, was, it was
1: the place to be. And it the- was a
2: place to be, and then it was uh you know it was taken over by the military. Uh, it was a convalescent hospital, and then it became a government building, and then it was shuttered. But by the time I think the revival had started, if you look at health, it looks pretty good. It looks yeah. pretty healthy. Yeah. But this movie, um, I don't know if you you guys know Roy Peter Clark, who's mm-hmm. a, a writer of it Pointer, but Roy was a uh, I want to say a cub reporter. Roy was a reporter at the Times, and he covered health extensively. Roy's a friend of mine, and uh, so he sat in a room and interviewed Lauren Bacall. Roy named his daughter after named her Lauren. Oh wow! He happily tell you that, but Roy told me that he could tell. Because men liked him and would invite him into what they call the rushes, you know, to watch what they'd filmed. Mm-hmm. And, and Roy said he could tell by watching it that it was going to suck. <laughs> you know he said? And so, it, 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 you know, and so it literally, you I, I think it played at a couple of film festivals and um, on TV once, which is where the recording on YouTube came from. And nobody's seen it since. So that was a great story. And so I would talk to people who were extras. Who were around while it was filming? I found tons of photographs. I, I talked to Roy. I went into the archives of what was being written at the time, what the what the stars said, you know, or you know, didn't mm-hmm. say. Um, so th- yeah, that was that. And of course, um,
0: and there have been also lots of attempts to create movie studios.
2: That, that happened all Florida. over Florida. They all were determined to make make this Hollywood South. I think this started in Jacksonville. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the the primarily African-American studio was right. up there right this second. I can't remember what it was called. There's a whole museum dedicated to this right now. Uh, they tried to do it in South Florida. They certainly tried to do it here. Whedon Island uh, had a, a very briefly movie studio that Buster Keaton was very briefly involved with. Right. Did
1: they make any movies there?
2: They made three films. They're all terrible. <laughs> One is called Chloe. Now available as Chloe, uh, Love is Calling You, on a really bad DVD transfer. The second one is called Play Things of Desire. And the third one is called Hired Wife. And Only Hired, only hired Wife, it's not the Rosalind Russell film. Only Hired Wife is the one that you can't get these days. And, and I have seen most of it. I've seen sections of it and read all about it. But... uh so that was early, and they did. They tried to do that in Florida, sort of because of the balmy climate. You can make films year round. Right. Of course, everything went to California eventually. Right. And that's what happened. One of the things I did discover working on, on filmmaking here is that in, I want to say, 1946, they shot scenes for a, a Bogart film, a film called Dead Reckoning here. It's, it's Bogart and Lizbeth Scott, who is one of the femme fatales of the mm-hmm. time. Um, so if you see it, they drive through St. Petersburg. I don't think they call it St. Petersburg. It's a beachfront town, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then you see them on what is the Treasure Island Causeway. And driving, then there's a beach scene with that beach in the background. They were never here. What they did was they sent the, the second unit out here to get, bo- they shot body doubles in the car from behind and from the side and uh, Bogart and Scott were never here, and then they did that sort of rear-screen projection thing to have them on the, uh, uh, on the causeway. Uh, a, a reporter for the Times named Betty Orsini, who sadly left us now, was Lisbeth Scott's body double. So she wrote a story about it in 1946. Mm-hmm. Know, I was Bogart's mall. They hadn't <laughs> even cast Lisbeth Scott yet. So there's things like that that were just, just amazing to me. And uh, they filmed a couple of TV movies here. They shot scenes for Bang the Drum Slowly in Clearwater with Robert De Niro. Huh. And uh, so I, I thought all this kind of stuff just should be documented in one place. The Dolphin tail movies. You know, it oh, goes the, on well, that was on. a big one. And yeah. then,
0: of course, Spring Breakers with Spring Selena Breakers. Gomez, who is so big now. So
2: Yeah, Spring Breakers was, I think, 2012, I want to say, out on St. Pete Beach, and that was a huge thing. Um there There's just some... also
0: not a great movie, uh, Cocoon maybe be the best? Well,
2: I, I think that maybe it's for a different generation than ours.
0: No, perhaps? I don't think that was it, Bill. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but that's okay, nice I didn't of want you. to say
2: that, but okay. <laughs>
0: um, and we talked a little about Ted Peters, but what about some other restaurants? What are some other famous and now Ted Peters is still here, but things that have come and gone.
2: They say that they say it's the famous say that the Cape Boctur was once the most popular restaurant in Florida. They could serve 1,200 people at a time. That was in Clearwater. Yes, yep. it's, it's right there on and Booth Road where it's the Sam Ash Music Store. Now.
0: Right, it became a music store. The, the
2: Sam Ash Music Store is kind of the entryway to what was the Kapok Tree Inn. There's, a, there's a, a, a an event planning place that's in there now and they do really good work. It's all been preserved very, very well. 12 different really ornate dining rooms, uh, all decorated very differently with Roman statuary and right. linen sconces and uh, it was in those days, in those days of, uh, you know, uh, celebrity dinner theater, for example, this was a big night out. You'd go to the Kapok tree. Never went there. My parents never took me there. You know, our big night out for me was the Ponderosa Steakhouse. We, on, we on went the there 19. when we
0: first moved here. We did, did the you? showboat. We went to the k 94th Aero Squadron. Uh-huh. Do you remember Up that restaurant at the Clearwater Airport? At the Clearwater Airport. No, no, okay, no. Okay, there's one. Put that in your tickler file. Yeah. an interesting one. That was at <laughs> the, the tickler same file Clearwater
2: Airport. I'm using that one. <laughs> 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 All right, it was the K-pop tree. Uh it was a, a guy named Richard uh Baumgardner who had been uh, uh I think he was a he was a musician. I think he was a big band leader or something and and uh, had had uh Come down from Baltimore, I think, and uh, set this place up. And they they opened a, a, like a fancy restaurant across the street. I think it was called Baumgartner's. And went and he passed away. And in time, his wife donated to the city of Clearwater the land that Ruth Eckerd Hall was built on, which is why the main hall at Ruth Eckerd is called the Richard Baumgartner. Oh, okay. uh, auditorium, I think. So yeah.
1: So one uh, of the. Uh, subjects that you have spent a lot of time studying is the sunshine skyway disaster in 1980 yeah uh which was such a long time ago but there's still a lot of people here who vividly remember that day it was my first week in tampa writing for the tampa times and i remember pulling into the parking lot of the newsroom about i don't know seven o'clock that morning because it was an afternoon newspaper um that was a newspaper that was published and delivered to your homes in the afternoon, children. Remember those, those days? I don't
2: remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we had the Evening Independent. And I had the radio
1: 30. on, and they said, that, you know, a ship has hit the skyway. And I yeah. thought, huh, I wonder what that is. Yeah. And I soon found out you when I got soon in the newsroom. found room, out uh, was that we were, it was insane. But what, made, what drew you to that story? Oh, that, that
2: you know, that's an easy That was one. your first book. That was my first book. It, 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 it's 10 years old now. It came out in 2013. That, that was easy. I was living in Savannah at the time, and I suppose there was an anniversary, as, as there often is. It was, uh, you know, uh, on the 9th of May, 1980. And I was reading about it online because I was living, I was 22, I think, when it happened. I remember it very well. And it occurred to me that every time somebody wrote about it, some of the information was different, you know? I'm a journalist. Wait, what's the real story here, you know? Uh, and it occurred to me that the people were being a little bit i don't know flip about it like and as it passed into history the information got more muddied you know and so i said okay uh, always looking for a project to do and somehow i just glommed onto this let's find out what really actually happened you know so i went to the archives i found everybody i could who was still alive including the co pilot Bruce Atkins, who lives in Massachusetts, I flew up and spent a weekend with him and his wife. He was there when it happened. He was right there on the ship. I got all the trial testimony, which is thousands and thousands of pages. I got all the reports from the NTSB, the Coast Guard, um, all all the trial coverage, and um, basically just lived... This thing for uh, two and a half years. The trial went on for a while, didn't it? It did. Well, it wasn't actually a trial; it was a hearing. It was a hearing. Yeah, and uh, Stephen Yared, who we all know here in Tampa, mm-hmm. uh, w- you know, was was Captain Laro's attorney, defense attorney, and he, you know, to his credit, put on a, a brilliant defense, and um, it really made his career. Hey, Steve, um, and yeah. So I did that. I'm very, very proud of it. But oh, one of and, the things
1: that you have yeah. drew, drew from that is, is you feel like John Laro's reputation never recovered from that, even though he was found not guilty of, of he was not complicit in that. It was R- right. what not, did
2: they Not, find? not negligent. Um, yeah, uh, both the NTSB and the Coast Guard uh, included as a kind of an addendum to to their findings that he might have acted more prudently in the face of what happened. You know, this storm came on him very, very suddenly. It was not predicted by the National Weather Service. I have all the National Weather Service He was presence. our, the ship that he was. He was half a mile from the Skyway when this thing just unloaded on him. You know, um, there are lots of extenuating circumstances here. Um, what, what, one of the things that kind of irritated me, if I may, and irritates me to this day is that still on social media, people will say, oh, yeah, that captain was drunk. You know well, John, John, first of all, didn't drink. Second hmm. of all, this happened at 7:30 in the morning, and he'd been under that bridge almost a thousand times. He was a professional. You know So you still hear this stuff. I did not set out to uh, rescue this man's reputation. I didn't know him, but what I found out was that he wasn't at fault. And yeah, it ruined him. It totally ruined him. Within a year, he was diagnosed with, with multiple sclerosis, uh, which is triggered by stress. Of course, it was probably in oh. him the whole time. It eventually killed him. It's a very, very sad story, um, but it wasn't his fault, and I think that people you know, people should look into it and see what actually happened. I spent a lot of time with the family of Wes McIntyre, who was a gentleman whose car uh, went w- went down with the bridge and literally ricocheted off the hull of the ship and mm. sa- sank. And he was the, the lone survivor. 35 people perished, and, and Wes, uh, Wes, who is, has passed away, but I spent a lot of time with his wife and his daughter. His wife, Betty, has since passed away. Now, all
1: of these folks uh, perished because the vehicles they were in went off the bridge. Yeah, and this, 100, 150 feet. Me, today, if the winds get to a certain point, they close the sky Right. So I've been wondering, how is it that they just let... Oh yeah, that looks fine.
2: It was 1980, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I think when you look at all the safety uh, gadgets, if you will, they they installed after this happened when they put the when they put up what we still call the new bridge, even though it's been up since 1987. Uh, a lot of it, ha- a lot of it, had to do with um, a, a warning system. It had to do with those bumpers they put up. It had to do with the fact that they moved. The, uh, the bridge a thousand feet to the east because of this really awkward turn that ships had to, had to take to stay in the channel and go under the bridge, so they knocked that out. But a lot of it had to do with, there were no lights, there was no warning on the bridge, all they had was radar. And the plus, for drivers, there were no lights on that bridge, ever. And to your point, it did. the storm came up very quickly. Sure. Right, it kind of out of nowhere. Sure, I mean, the, the National Weather Service issued the report about watch for this squall an hour after it hit. That's how fast this <laughs> happened, and if you remember that morning, it was blowing like a bandit, as Guy Clark used to say. It was insane. So at that point, he had he had very little choice. He had to either s- try to stop the ship, which you can't do, right? You know, or or or, or, find, or go for or, it. His radar blipped on for a second. The radar was in and out, and uh, and Captain Atkins says, "I see the channel. We're right where we need to be. Start your turn. It's an eighteen degree uh, turn to uh, to port." And he did that, and. Also the the other extenuating thing was that there was a, an oil tanker outbound from Tampa that was right on the other side of the bridge he had lost contact with him when the storm came up he thought he could Lero could have gone essentially made a U-turn in the mm-hmm. channel and avoided the bridge but he didn't know where the tanker was because he couldn't see it couldn't see it and the radar was going out and as it turned out which my research kind of uncovered the the captain of the tanker never broadcast The fact that he had pulled over to to wait, let the storm beat itself out. He had grounded himself on the other side. He never told Laro this, um, which is the sad truth. And there's a lot of people who are involved in in the Harbor Pilots Association who have strong opinions about what happened there. But it wasn't Laro, and Laro took the blame, took the brunt of the blame. And still, all these years later, is you know he's he's been dead for quite a while now. They still say, "Oh, it's his fault." It wasn't his fault. Terrible set of. Kind of what would we call it, like bad mojo all coming mm-hmm. together at the same time in the yeah, same place? Yeah, perfect storm. So in perfect 2015,
1: storm. though, you took your work on the Skyway to another level and uh, organized a, um, a memorial uh, yeah. to be
2: that was placed. We put up a memorial out there yeah. at the rest area. It's near the Blackthorn Memorial. The Blackthorn Tragedy of 1980 placed kind of into this story, too. So it's right there. Explain that. How does it, yeah. Well, on the 20th of January, 1980, the Coast Guard Cutter Blackthorn, which is a small, uh, small vessel, was coming out of uh, a dry dock in Tampa on its way to Galveston uh, about 7 at night. And as it passed under the skyway, um, it got rammed. It got rammed by an incoming freighter, and it sank in I think 4 minutes, and 30, oh my gosh, tw- no, 23 crewmen drowned. Mm -hmm. It is still, to this day, the worst peacetime disaster in uh, Coast Guard history. Um, And um, the the pilots refer to that area as the combat zone because everything comes... This is before they changed it. Everything comes together at the same time. Um, It it, it plays into it simply because Blackthorn was left where it was for several weeks until they raised it. I have the video footage of them raising his harrowing stuff. And... um, one of the ships that was having to come through, they had to move around it to go under the bridge to get to the port of Tampa. Very, very, at that time, the seventh busiest port in the country. And one of the ships was trying to go around it. It's Keel uh, or uh, uh, the Stern. I'm sorry. I can't think of the words. I've been out of the maritime business for a while now, so it takes me a minute. The Stern swung around and clipped one of the main supports and knocked a little sheet of concrete off of it no no serious damage was caused.
0: I didn't even know about
2: that yeah, but it was, it was and bad. it continued on to the port. John Lera was the pilot of that ship, so when the skyway thing came out, oh my God, he hit it before i have I still have the <laughs> the NBC Nightly News. Uh, yeah, it's Jane Pauley saying. It turns out the pilot who knocked the Skyway Bridge down had hit the bridge before, and they brought up everything that had ever happened to him. He had fewer accident reports than anybody else on the bar on the on the Harbor Pilots bar. Well, so not
1: only did the, you create that memorial, but you also wrote a play about John Laro, right?
2: I did. Yeah, I, I wrote a, a, a one man first person show. I didn't act in it because I can't act. Brilliant actor from uh, St. Pete, and Michael Horn did it. Uh, it's called May Day, Captain Lero on the Skyway Bridge, and essentially for seventy-five minutes, he sits there and tell you tells you what he went through, and it's pretty harrowing stuff. And we did some video, and a lot of it was taken from his testimony. A lot of it was taken from, um, you know, the testimony of others, people who told me about him and the kinds of things he said.
0: So interesting. You you're very fascinated with him. Why why the fascination with him? In well, particular? I think I think
2: the memorial came about uh, probably just because the state of Florida, to my uh, understanding, wanted to pretend this thing never happened. You know, when I started I started riding to Tallahassee uh, in 2014, saying. Can't we do something about this?
1: Because they already had a memorial to the black folks. So,
2: well, the Coast Guard put it up. an Absolutely beautiful thing. And and I thought we should we should honoring the people, the thirty five you know, innocents who died. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I was ignored. I was totally ignored. And when I went, they said, well, somebody said, this, this is Department of Transportation property. You got to go through them. And I f- took forever and finally got them to say, okay, well, if you pay for it and you indemnify us <laughs> in case we have to move it. So they have a lot of my money sitting in sort of an escrow account in case they have to move it, um, which they haven't had to do yet. Anyway, so we did that. We had a big ceremony on the uh, 40th anniversary in uh, 2015, 45. 30, 35th anniversary. Oh my goodness!
0: Um, We've got. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wave Makers on WMF with Janet and Tom, and our guest is Bill DeYoung. He's written uh, three books about the history of Saint Pete, as well as a book about the um, Skyway um, disaster, and also um, Phil.
2: It's Gern, Gernhard. It's Gernhard.
0: Record man. Gernhard. Record man. We're going to
2: reissue this book Phil this year, Gern- and I think we're going to oh, take. Oh, you are. Well, I think we're going to take his name out of the title. So this doesn't happen <laughs> Does anymore. Are, it? are we the only? We're
0: not the only ones who do that. Good, <laughs> no, right? no. So we've been talking about. I want to get to a couple emails because people liked our conversation about restaurants. So we have Rick Albert who um, mentioned Pepins, which was a great restaurant. I think that Pepins was the Spanish restaurant. It was on Fourth
2: Street. Oh, sure. Is that where it was it yeah? Great Pepin's. sangria. Yep. Yeah
0: which has closed and then someone else recommend also says that you should um look into um 94th Aero Squadron and well, now the Boat Yard. What did you call Aero... that,
2: the, the whisper list? Or what did you call The tickler The tickler, tickle, the tickler file. file. I like that.
0: <laughs> and then, um, but, uh, yeah. Old so, newspaper term. Old newspaper term. So th- those were other places that people were interested in.
2: Um, I'm only familiar yeah. with the circular file from my newspaper. newspaper.
0: <laughs> Tell us about the Lost Music Interviews. What's, well, it's what's... called I
2: Need to Know the Lost Music Interviews. I Need to Know being the title of a song by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I lived in Gainesville for 22 years, as I said. And um, when I got there, I've always been a music person. Uh, sports doesn't interest me at all. kind of never has. And, uh, you know, with, with all due respect, uh, you know, the Florida Gators were everything there. And when I got there, I said, what about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers? And this was, <laughs> this was long before the Traveling Wilburys and long before Tom became Mr. Giant Music Guy. Uh, and everybody from the band was from Gainesville. And so, literally, I got to know them when they'd come through town and, and wrote about them a lot, did lots of inter- lengthy interviews with Tom. Not, that, I can't say we were friends or anything like that, but I always get kind of special dispensation because of where I was and who I, mm-hmm. who I was writing for. Uh, so, I need to know, and I also wrote for uh, a music magazine called Goldmine. It's a record collecting magazine that I will say now used to be good. I, I haven't seen them lately. They used to, I would write, I wrote like 10,000 word interviews with Mm -hmm. people um, with, you know, I did lengthy interviews with Linda Ronstadt and and people like that. Uh, I did a lengthy interview with George Martin, the Beatles producer, being a Beatles nut. That was like, that was the pinnacle for me. And I literally spent a day writing questions out. What did I always want to know? You know, rather than just, like, shoot from the hip and ask him stupid stuff. Still, my favorite interview I've ever done. That's what this book is. It collects all these. There are four interviews with Petty. They're all very long. There's two interviews with Neil Young, who's another favorite artist of mine. And I can't remember how many, but there's a lot of that. And Goldmine, you know, I own the rights to that. I went back to... um, the actual Petty interviews that I did, I still had the cassettes, transcribed them all. this one we did after he'd played with Bob Dylan in Madison Square Garden in 86. Right after the show, we just sat down in his hotel room and talked for an hour and a half. Oh,
0: that's awesome. And so
2: a lot of this stuff nobody had ever seen. Oh, screw it, man. Let's, let's, let's put it out. Put a book out. So that's what we did.
0: Cool. Um, we got a couple calls, so let's go to the phones. Um, uh, Kenny from Clearwater. Kenny from Clearwater, you are on the line.
2: What's up?
3: Uh, Did you ever hear about the story about Saturday Night Live getting sued over the skit they did about the Skyway Bridge?
2: Well, they actually – yeah, it's actually in the book. They actually didn't get sued, but they took a lot of – let's say flack back, for it. Yeah. Last yeah. What, it, there was a, a big thing in the, in the times back would, in the day. What'd they
3: say? They said, uh, this is what Florida does for toll dodgers. You know, <laughs> I can,
2: I can, I can almost quote it verbatim. The St. Petersburg highway authority had to close the Tampa Bay bridge today when a driver refused to pay the toll. And it was a picture of Mr. Hornbuckle's yellow Buick hanging on the edge there. Oh man. It, it's real. It's a, it's a clip. When I do, I do presentations about the skyway. Yeah. That show was on the front page I of
1: New heard... York times the next day. Yeah. Yeah, you, you used
2: to work for the Tampa
1: Bay Times.
2: I, I I was a correspondent for the Times when I was seventeen, huh. eighteen years old, and wrote a lot. Yeah, my my interviews. friend used
3: to work there. He was, I think, he was an editor, Larry Fletcher.
2: Oh, sure, I remember oh, yeah. that name. Yeah,
3: Larry. Yeah, we we played lacrosse together for the Tampa Bay Lacrosse Club.
2: Larry worked at the Tampa Tribune, and I worked with him. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. old journalists <laughs> well, never never die. They just <laughs> write books. <Yeah>. Thanks <laughs> for calling.
1: I play, I play, yeah. In Larry's case, he's uh, publishing military magazines.
2: There you go. Thanks for the
0: call. Appreciate it very much. Um, so where can people uh, – well, let me we just go back to this because you knew Tom Petty or you talked to him. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised at the way he died? I was surprised. I was kind of surprised by that.
2: Well, I, I, I'll tell you my view on Tom, and I'll do it in an expeditious way. I'm looking at the clock here. Um, he changed a lot after uh the traveling Wilberries, after he changed the people he started associating with uh i was very into the heartbreakers as a unit as a mm-hmm. group um well you were in gainesville yeah yeah was, and and uh i started. could i could see that changing not only by his just his attitude and the way he talked and then he fired stan lynch the drummer who was a great big part of why the heartbreakers are great and Stan is still a friend of mine, and I love him to death. And to me, that was like Petty didn't care anymore. In the early days, he would always talk about the heartbreakers as us. And then it became me, you know. Uh, he, he became a big, uh, an, a, for lack of a better phrase, an L.A. rock star. Hmm. I literally, in the mid-'90s, stopped trying to talk to him. It's like, I, I just don't care anymore, you know, moved on. Interesting. So was I surprised? Not really. I uh, said. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and tell us, how can people... Access your books. Uh,
2: many of them are on Amazon. Most of them are on Amazon under my name. And uh, also the ones that are published in St. Petersburg, which is the vintage St. Pete books. And I need to know, you can get through stpetersburgpress.com. Oh. Tom Blow Books in St. Petersburg has, I think, all of them. I think. Okay. Tom Blow Books, Saint Yay, Petersburg Tom Press. Below. They do com. good work. Yeah, hey, guys.
1: Yeah. So I, I did want to ask you, because we only have a few minutes left here, um, how did you become a correspondent for the St. Pete Times at 17? Did you just walk in and say, hey, I want to write for you guys? And they're, Okay, sure.
2: Well, I had an in, I'll tell you. My, okay. si- my sister had been a writer there. She's now at the Washington Post. She's actually been in the Washington Post for almost 50 years now, but... Yeah, it's incredible. She was a reporter, and so I I just knew people there. I was her kid brother.
1: This was before she posted all the salaries of all the reporters? Uh, it was after. Room. She was still there. She was I still mean, there. Yeah, she,
2: she went on to bigger and better things. So it really was... I got to know... Uh, I don't know if you know Bob Ross, who went on to write for the Tribune. A friend of him. Yeah, okay. Movies. Well, yeah. Bob was the music writer at the Times... And for better or for worse, uh, hey Bob, love you, Bob. I, I <laughs> He's glomm- probably
0: listening. He, I hope
2: so. I glommed <laughs> on to Bob, and 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 I got a job as a copy boy in the in the office. There, oh, that's how know. I
0: started. Oh, there you go. You <laughs> know, running coffee girl. and taking the they copy. They were later called girl.
2: editorial assistants, but <laughs> yeah. yes, An editorial. We called them copy kids, kids
0: actually. Kids. And,
2: and basically, <laughs> I guess what I did was just pestered Bob no end, and and finally he, he he said, well, can you write? And I said, I think so. And he said, look, I don't want to go to Lakeland to see Queen or. Whatever it was, (laughs) how about you go? Oh my God! That's how that's how it started, and then I started writing the occasional feature. So that was your first uh, concert review. Was uh, I'm not sure. No, it might have been Earth, Wind, and Fire, but it was great. Bob would send me to Lakeland, and and I think God bless him. He just didn't want to make the drive. Yeah, you know, let the kid do it. But it was Earth, Wind, and Fire when they would come down in the big spaceship, and it was just it was tremendous. I did you have
1: to write that on deadline?
2: Yes. Well, you learn, you learn quick. Oh, as, yeah. you, as you know, you learn quick. What? That's the word. I was a music writer. Do.
0: Writing when you have to write a, a, you're writing a concert review on deadline, and the papers, you know, you you have to write your review 15 minutes before the show. You have, sometimes well, you really, <laughs> have to
2: write
1: it during the show, right? Well, you, <laughs> you certainly have to have, to
2: have it. it in your mind where yeah. you're going with it. I mean, uh, it's a lot that easier now well, to do something it. on deadline, but. In those days, well, and being, no being young no. and stupid. I mean, I actually have a file with some clips in it. I, you know, I, I, I just said, oh, Ted Nugent was the worst thing I'd ever seen. And Ted Nugent's mother sent me a nasty card in the mail. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right, and this was, of course,
1: before the days of laptops and, uh, or even probably electric typewriters.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. fun going down to the Times building at, you know, 11 o'clock at night. Ay. But here we are.
0: Yeah. Well, Bill, thanks for being here. Remind everybody again where they can get your books.
2: Tom Below Books in St. Petersburg, Amazon.com for most of them, and com for the vintage St. Pete books. And I Need to Know the Lost Interviews, and thank you. I hope you'll check them out.
1: So people who have ideas for uh, some of the vintage St. Pete stories, uh, can they contact you through St. Pete Catalyst? Yeah, or?
2: through the through the Catalyst. I also have a website, which is com. And it's probably easier to go through the catalyst. Cause What's going
1: to be your next uh, Winter St. Pete story I have no idea.
2: No. I, uh, oh, the next story I'm writing? Story you're the next story The Suncoast Playboy Club, which was down in the Hilton Hotel in 1981 and 82. Huh. I'm supposed to be meeting with some former bunnies soon to tell me all about it. Well,
0: and there's something online about um, the shuffleboard courts right now.
2: I did the shuffleboard courts a few weeks ago. That was fun. I did a whole, the whole history of Derby Lane recently. Um, it never ends. You'll it have to ne- write something about how St. Pete
1: became a, a center for hipsters.
2: I think it always was. Go read the Boart Art story. You know, St. Pete was the that's
0: your Jack Kerouac. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's it, true. It,
2: it was the epicenter for hipsters when the, by the before by the, time, the term for for oddballs and weirdos and yeah. Bohemians.
1: But by the time Kerouac showed up, he was just a drunken.
2: Yeah, Tom Reese threw him out. Nobody (laughs) drinks in my establishment. Threw him out. That's the place where Jim Morrison read his poetry, and that's a famous story, and that's in in that one, and that's in this book, Vintage 3.
0: So Vintage St. Pete. Check it out by Bill DeYoung. Thanks for being here. John, Vintage John, thank you for running our board. And thanks to Edgar and Marilyn for answering the phone.
1: Tune in next week for our Spring Fun Drive.
0: Up next is um, American uh, Radio, followed by Harrison, Alternative Radio, followed by Harrison Nass. This is WMNF Tampa.
3: The cruise.